Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Wednesday, September 14, and here are some of the stories we are covering. African leaders celebrate the swearing-in of Kenya's new president, William Ruto. This moment is a moment like no other. And today, I want to thank God because... A village boy has become the president of Kenya. We'll get clarification about a ceasefire agreement in the Ethiopia-Tigray conflict. Gambia commercial transporters vow to continue their strike over high fuel prices and other concerns. The death of Britain's monarch sparks a debate about colonial rule. Malawi's former leader calls for resignation of current president Lasro Chakwera. I think he should resign immediately. There must be a caretaker government or a government of national unity. I think we need to bring people who know how to run the economy. And a new study looks at antimicrobial resistance to treating ailments in Africa. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. William Ruto is now the new president of the Republic of Kenya after being sworn in in a ceremony attended by thousands of Kenyans and delegates across Africa and the world. African presidents attending the event applauded Kenyans for carrying out a peaceful election. At the same time, President Ruto appointed former President Uhuru Kenyatta to continue with peace negotiations between the Democratic Republic of Congo and the East African community. Maureen Ojiambo reports. This moment is a moment like no other. And today, I want to thank God because a village boy has become the president of Kenya. African leaders flocked in big numbers, gracing the swearing-in ceremony of President William Ruto at the Kasarani International Stadium in Nairobi. Among the African leaders recognized at the event were African Union Chairperson Mosafake and presidents of various African countries. Speaking after taking the oath of office, Ruto said that in most cases the elections in Kenya have been marred by violence. But he says the August polls were peaceful. Our politics and our elections have never failed to be emotive, engaging and dramatic. The most recent installment, however, showcased our most exemplary democratic performance. This day comes on the back of a peaceful election following an intense issue-based campaign in which major coalitions made up of strong political parties canvassed their agenda and took it for examination by the people of Kenya. At least 19 heads of states across Africa and other political leaders were in attendance. Speaking at the ceremony, Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni asked African leaders to create wealth and build the economy of their countries. All of the political class in Africa, I would appeal to you to answer that question. Where does prosperity come from? According to my experience of 60 years, I would advise Africans to know that prosperity comes from wealth creation. You must create wealth. And wealth is not the same as natural resources. You may have natural resources, but you don't get wealth out of them. Kenya has experienced election violence following the past three elections. However, Tanzanian President Samia Suluhu says Kenyans have been at peace since Election Day in August. 
ndugu zangu wa Kenya tunawapongeza nyinyi kwa kuonesha ukomavu she's saying that my kenyan brothers and sisters we appreciate you for showing democracy and holding a peaceful election and today we are here as kenyans and the east african community to celebrate our new president let me tell you kenyans if there is a gift you gave to us as east african community it is the peace you maintained during the elections Ruto and his deputy Rigathi Gashagwa are facing an economic crisis where food and fuel prices are rising by day and overwhelming public debt amounting to 83 billion US dollars. In his speech, Gashagwa said that they are inheriting a failed economy and that is almost facing a shutdown. Ruto promised to deliver to Kenyans regardless of their political alignment. Reporting for viewers Debrick Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. Former Malawi President Peter Mutarika is calling for the resignation of Malawi President Lazarus Chakwera and the formation of a government of national unity. Mutarika alleges that Malawians have lost trust in Chakwera based on a recent Afrobarometer survey on people's perceptions in governance. The findings show that over half of those polled would vote for Mutarika's Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, today. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Speaking at a press conference Tuesday at his residence in Mangoji district, Mutarika pointed to a number of challenges the country is facing that he said the Chakwera administration is failing to address. He said the challenges include persistent power outages, fuel and foreign exchange shortages, and the rise in the price of maize, the country's many food crop. The president and the government are completely clueless, and the council they extended credit facility that my government negotiated with the IMF. And look what the results now. Secondly, the agrego contract, for example, giving us 78 megawatts uh, of electricity. They canceled simply because it was negotiated by DPP. And look what has happened now. Agrego is a company which leased 84 generators with a combined capacity of 78 megawatts to increase power supply for the Electricity Supply Corporation of Malawi. Mutalika said Malawians are facing these problems largely because the current administration is failing to manage the country's economy. He said it is wrong for President Chakwera to attend the United Nations General Assembly at a time when Malawi is facing fuel shortages because of lack of foreign exchange to import the commodity. I think he should resign immediately. There must be a caretaker government or a government of national unity. I think we need to bring experts, people who know how to run the economy. Now, as far as GBP is concerned, we are ready to participate in such an interim government. Mutalika said he cannot reveal how the government should run the economy, saying he will only do that once the government of the national unity is formed. George Peel is a political analyst based in northern Malawi. He told VOA Mutalika has no justification to accuse President Chakwera of poor governance because his administration was worse than the Chakwera administration. Even Peter Mutalika himself, he failed to give a consolidated report to IMF. He failed. Where did he do well during his time? He failed. In fact, he lied. That's why IMF is on this current government 
that they need to justify that report, which they cannot. Peter Mtalik himself is failing to justify. Now, I find both of these leaders being insensible. Last year, police arrested former finance minister during the Mutalika administration, Joseph Manamvega, and former Reserve Bank governor, Dalito Kabambe, on allegations that they falsified some documents in an attempt to convince the IMF that Malawi was meeting terms needed to use the extended credit facility. However, Piri agrees with Mutalika that Jaguera is wrong to attend the UN General Assembly at a time when the country is facing scarcity of foreign exchange. The same president, Dr. Jaguera, just a few days ago, he said he's failing to deal with the issue of fuel in the country because of forex shortage. Now, the trip to Unga, are they not going to use forex? Now, how can the same president who says we are in forex crisis and the same president justifies for travel where he's going to spend forex? Does that make any sense anywhere in the world? This is the first trip for Chakwera to the UN General Assembly since he became the president after defeating Mutalika in 2020. He has been attending the previous two assemblies visually. Gospel Gazako is a government spokesperson. He told a state-owned Malawi Broadcasting Corporation that President Jaguera's trip to the UN General Assembly was a must. As you are aware that President Lazarus McCarthy Jaguera is the chairperson for the LPCs, least developed countries. These are poor countries, and they'll be having their meetings there. And certainly it will be very unfair to ourselves, but also unfair to the other countries if the president is not uh, present at that meeting. Kazako also told a local radio station that Mutalika's comments during the press conference were made out of malice and jealousy and that the government is not moved. I am Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. An Ethiopian-born academic has been clarifying reports earlier this week that rebels of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, had agreed to a ceasefire and African Union-led peace talks with the Ethiopian government. The reported TPLF position followed the intervention of the United States. Ezekiel Gabisa is a professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He says while a ceasefire is always welcome in any conflict, the TPLF did not commit to one. That's because the Ethiopian delegation in the meeting with U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, Mike Hammer, said it was not instructed to sign a ceasefire. On the issue of an African Union-led peace mediation, Gabisa tells me that the Tigray regional government has always said that it agrees to an AU-led mediation. But they found that AU mediator and former Nigerian president Olusegun Obasanjo was no longer credible. Ceasefire is important. People don't have to die needlessly. At the end of the day, after any conflict, it's going to be necessary that the belligerents sit down and work out their differences and conclude the war with a, a political settlement. That's necessary. That's important. So it's encouraging that after the resumption of the war in Tigray, that there is an increasing activity to uh, negotiate. But TPFL, did they welcome or did they accept a ceasefire? No, there is no ceasefire to accept. They met American envoy Mike Hammer at the behest of the Secretary of State. And when the Americans convened them, they gave them instructions that 
the delegates from both sides should have the mandate to sign a ceasefire, to agree to the humanitarian delivery of aid and uh, the turning on of services, and of course to agree to a roadmap of this peace process. But as soon as they started negotiations, or at least talking to each other after the American envoy finished his uh, preliminaries, the Ethiopian side said, we are not ready to, to sign. Uh, we are not instructed to sign anything. Uh, in fact, they thought they came to actually accept the, the surrender of the, the Tigrayan Defense Forces. So because they said they did not have the mandate to sign anything, they had to go back to Addis Ababa to talk to their bosses. So there was no discussion of a ceasefire, much less uh, text of a ceasefire. So they actually asked for international experts who would guide the process. So experts are going to be needed and international observers to make sure that everybody lives up to what they sign. So even though this is a declaration of intent, there is no ceasefire uh, at this moment. The last time we spoke, Professor, it sounded to me that the TPLF were not comfortable with an African Union or maybe the peace mediator of the African Union. Are they saying they may be ready for an African Union-led peace negotiation? The Tigray regional government have always said they are okay with an AU-led process, but Mr. Obasanjo, the high representative, is no longer credible. When Mr. Obasanjo, in his report, actually <laughs> requested that Eritrea become a party to the process, that's when he lost all credibility with the, the regional government of Tigray. Even before, the Tigray government never stated that they do not accept an AU-led process. They made reservations about the pronouncement that Musa Faki made at the beginning of the war, but they were not against the principle or the idea of an AU-led process. They only objected to Mr. Obasanjo. They were willing to work with the president of Kenya at the, at the time. This time, they affirmed their position that they accept an AU-led process, but the current high representative is not credible. Professor, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Ezekiel Gebesa is an Ethiopian-born professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He was speaking with us from Flint, Michigan. Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, September 14. The passing last week of British monarch Queen Elizabeth II sparked fresh debates about Africa's colonial past. This amid the outpouring of condolences and praise for her long service. The late Queen was crowned in 1952, a time when the British still ruled much of Africa. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. Buckingham Palace announced the Queen's passing on Thursday, hours after saying she was being closely monitored by her doctors. The monarch died at the age of 96 and had ruled for more than seven decades. But soon after the announcement, condolences poured in from all over the world, including African nations, which Britain had colonized for years. Nigerian President Buhari tweeted, quote, 
Nigeria's story will never be complete without a chapter on Queen Elizabeth II, end quote, adding that she was a, quote, towering global personality and an outstanding leader, end quote. Like Buhari, other African leaders mourned the monarch, including Kenyan and South African counterparts. But many Africans had contrary opinions about how they remember the Queen's rule, which they say included an ugly past for their ancestors. A controversial tweet by a Nigerian professor living in the U.S., Uju Anya, wished the Queen an, quote, excruciating transit, end quote. She recalled Britain's support in the late 1960s for a military dictatorship that subdued separatists in the southeast of the country from where she hails. She said a famine and civil war between 1967 and 1970 killed more than one million Biafrans. Anya's tweet was liked nearly 70,000 times within hours. She could not be reached for comment, but Abuja resident Benjamin Suwando shares the same sentiments about the Queen. They made us sleep before them, and they even stole so many things from us. Oh, personally, it reminds me of what we've been through. Another resident, Moses Alexander, responded to the Queen's death. I can't say I wish I had for death because thinking about the slavery is. Queen Elizabeth visited Nigeria twice, including a visit three years after ascending the throne in 1953, where she spent about 20 days. Her death comes as Britain has been returning artifacts seized from Africa during the colonial era, a possible sign that she was trying to make things right, says Abuja-based political analyst Rotimi Olawale. They looted treasuries, stole a lot of artifacts, raped and mutilated several communities, and those are facts. But it's also fact that the Queen has been a steady hand in the Commonwealth. I think it's fair to look at those, but I also think it's fair to balance and see that um, by the time the Queen took over, she was only a ceremony ahead of uh, the British government. Yes, she had some form of informal authority, but she didn't have the commanding power uh, as much as she's been blamed for. Olawali says Nigeria has benefited from the Commonwealth led by the Queen and must now continue to assess whether to remain a part of it. I know quite a lot of Nigerians and Africans who benefited from the Commonwealth scholarships. As a result of being in the Commonwealth, Nigeria benefits a lot in some ways as being part of trade partners with other Commonwealth nations. We should continue to reassess how does the Commonwealth benefit Nigeria. About 20 African countries, including Nigeria, are members of the Commonwealth of Nations. The Queen's successor is not automatically the leader of the group, and experts say with her passing, many countries may withdraw their membership. The British monarch will be buried on September 19th and will be succeeded by her oldest son, King Charles III. Many will be watching to see what happens next. I'm Timothy Obiezu for Daybreak Africa in Abuja, Nigeria.
The president of Gambia's General Transport Union says their strike, which began this week, will continue until the government meets their demands. Omar Sisi says commercial drivers are concerned about high fuel prices, Senegal-Gambia bridge toll charges, and unnecessary police checkpoints. According to local media reports, the government denies imposing any new bridge tariff. It also said it has been working with the union on their concerns. Meanwhile, local media reports say the strike has inconvenienced thousands of commuters. Union President Sisi tells me the drivers are convinced that only the strike can make the government meet their demands. Thank you. We engaged the government through the Ministry of Transport regarding the concern of our members. This was happened in 2021 by September to November. On November, we have been agreement with the government with certain issues we have been raising. First and foremost is uh, the increment of the transport fare across the country and introduce the uh, Senegambia toll fee. So during our engagement with the government, we agree with certain amount to reduce the Senegambia bridge up to that you know, particular amount. At the same time, we have we signed an agreement with the government. If pump price have been changed for 20%, we will adopt the transport fare. But since that day up to now, unfortunately, the government failed to implement it. And the same time on Senegambia tariff bridge toll fee also, we engage them. We have a stakeholder meeting, including the Minister of Finance. Until we have an agreement on the tariff, the AG for approval later, but unfortunately, didn't implement that agreement also. And we are talking about the police brutality. We got there here less than 400 kilometers, almost 50 police checkpoints across the highway. So any checkpoint, police will park you and harass you, sometimes assaulted you, you know, took your money from you. This is not correct. These are issues we have been with the government since a few months ago. Unfortunately, they didn't recommend it. That's why we call it a sit-down fact until what demands have been fulfilled. You mentioned charges concerning the Senegambia bridge between Gambia and Senegal. Our understanding is that the government said it did not impose any new taxes at the bridge. Is that yeah. the case? Yeah, we didn't impose any new tax. That is true. But the previous tariff we have been paid since Paris period, then we continue to that pay that pay, pay that tariff. We told the government this tariff is too much. Like they have been charging patron for eighty dollars our government currency and the legend of the vehicle. So we engage them on this of the matter. We discuss, they bring their expired their stakeholders. We discuss until we have a new tariff. We agree on new tariff. So they write to the Minister of Finance for implementation. Don't copy the letter to us for implementation. But unfortunately, don't let the tariff was never implemented. So have you met with the government, discussed your grievances with the government? Yeah, we do so. This tariff issue we discuss. After the not implementation, we send a two letter for them so that we can, they can give us the status quo. But unfortunately, we don't listen and we respond it. Well, let me ask you then, are you not concerned about the possible inconvenience that your strike may cause to the ordinary Gambians? Yeah, even we as a drivers, we have been affected. But we feel this is the only way as of now so that government can see what to do in our those demands. Because we engage them through the poverty channel, through the meetings, through the you know, official letters, but unfortunately... So how long do you think you are going to continue with your strike? As of now, it will continue. We start discussing with some relevant institutions, like today we have been with the Gambia Chamber of Commerce. They are board of directors regarding the issue. We expect to meet another stakeholders, different stakeholders around the issue. Any argument we make, we will inform the general public. Mr. Sise, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. You're most welcome. Omar Sise is the president of Gambia's Transport Union. He was speaking with us from the Gambian capital, Banjo.
And that's it for this Wednesday, September 14th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barton, Washington, wishing you will have a beautiful day. Every year, world leaders gather in New York for the annual United Nations General Assembly. Count on VOA to be there, delivering news you can trust on radio, TV, and the web. A free press is essential. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news and information.